What do we sacrifice? The laws of sacrifices that dominate the early chapters of the book of Vayikra are among the hardest in the Torah to relate to in the present. It's been almost 2,000 years since the temple was destroyed and the sacrificial system came to an end. But Jewish thinkers, especially the more mystical among them, strove to understand the inner significance of the sacrifices, the statement they made about the relationship between humanity and God. They were thus able to rescue their spirit, even if their physical enactment was no longer possible. Among the simplest and yet most profound was the comment made by Rav Shai Zalman of Ladi, the first Rebbe of Lubavitch. He noticed a grammatical oddity about the second line of today's Parsha, um, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, Adam ki akriv mikem korban Hashem. When one of you offers a sacrifice to the Lord, the sacrifice must be taken from the cattle, sheep, or goats. Or so the, the verse would read if it were constructed according to the normal rules of grammar. However, in Hebrew, the word order of the sentence is strange and unexpected. We would expect to read Adam Mikem Kiyakriv when one of you offers a sacrifice. Instead, what it says is Adam Kiyakriv Mikem when one offers a sacrifice of you. The essence of a sacrifice, said Rav Shnoyer Zalman, is that we offer ourselves. We bring to God our faculties, our energies, our thoughts and emotions. The physical form of sacrifice, an animal offered on the altar, is only an external manifestation of an inner act. The real sacrifice is mikem, of you. We give God something of ourselves. Now let's stay with this idea and pursue it further. In sacrifice, what do we give God? The Jewish mystics, among them Rav Shnaya Zalman himself, spoke about the two souls each of us has. An animal soul, nefesh abahamit, and the godly soul, nefesh elokit. On the one hand, we are physical beings. We're part of nature. We have physical needs, food, drink, shelter. We're born, we live, we die. As Kohelet puts it, man's fate is like the animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. Both have the same breath. Man has no advantage over the animal. Everything is a mere fleeting breath. Yet we are not simply animals. We have within us immortal longings. We can think, speak, and communicate. We can, by the acts of speaking and listening, reach out to others. We are the one life form known to us in the vast universe that can ask the question, why? We can formulate ideas and be moved by high ideals. We are not solely governed by biological drives. Psalm 8 is a hymn of wonder on this theme. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him, yet you made him little lower than the angels and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the work of your hands. You put everything under his feet. Physically, we're almost nothing, but spiritually we are brushed by the wings of eternity. We have a godly soul. So the nature of sacrifice, understood psychologically, is now clear. What we offer God is not just an animal, but nefesh habahamit, the animal soul within us. 
How, though, does this work out in detail? A hint is given by the three types of animal mentioned in the verse, behemoth, animal, bakar, cattle, and tzon, flock. Each represents a separate animal-like feature of the human personality. Behemoth represents the animal instinct itself. The word refers to domesticated animals. It doesn't imply the savage instincts of a predator. What it means is something more tame. Animals spend their time searching for food. Their lives are bounded by the struggle to survive. To sacrifice the animal within us is to be moved by something more than mere survival. Wittgenstein, when asked what the task of philosophy was, answered to show the fly the way out of the fly bottle. The fly, trapped in the bottle, bangs its head against the glass trying to find its way out. The one thing it fails to do is look up. The godly soul within us is the force that makes us look up beyond the physical world, beyond mere survival, in search of meaning, purpose, goal. The Hebrew word bakar, cattle, reminds us of the word boker, dawn. Literally, it means to break through. As the first rays of sunlight break through the darkness of night, cattle, stampeding, break through barriers. Unless constrained by fences, cattle are no respecters of boundaries. So to sacrifice the bakar is to learn to recognize and respect boundaries between holy and profane, pure and impure, permitted and forbidden. Barriers of the mind can sometimes be stronger than walls. Finally, tzon, flocks, represent the herd instinct, the powerful drive to move in a given direction because others are doing likewise. The great figures of Judaism, Abraham, Moses, the prophets, were distinguished precisely by their ability to stand apart from the herd, to be different, to challenge the idols of the age, to refuse to capitulate to the intellectual fashions of the moment. That ultimately is the meaning of holiness in Judaism. Kadosh, the holy, is something set apart, different, separate, distinctive. Jews were the only people in history consistently to refuse to assimilate to the dominant culture or convert to the dominant faith. The noun korban, sacrifice, and the verb lahakriv, to offer something as a sacrifice, actually mean that which is brought karov, close. It's an act of bringing close. So the key element is not so much giving something up, which we normally think of as the meaning of sacrifice, but in Judaism what we do is not give something up, it's we bring something close to God. Lahakriv is to bring the animal element to be transformed through the divine fire that once burned on the altar and still burns at the heart of prayer if we truly seek closeness of God. By one of the great ironies of history, this very ancient idea has become suddenly contemporary. Darwinism, the decoding of the human genome, and scientific materialism, the idea that the, mater the material, the physical, is all there is, have led to the widespread conclusion that we are animals. Nothing more, nothing less. We share 98% of our genes with the primates, we are, as Desmond Morris used to put it, the naked ape. On this view, Homo sapiens exists by mere accident, with the result of a random series of genetic mutations, and just happen to be more adapted to survival than other species. 
the nefesh habahamit, the animal soul, is on that theory all there is. The refutation of this idea, and it's surely one of the most absurd ever to be held by intelligent minds, lies in the very act of sacrifice itself, as the mystics understood it. We can redirect our animal instincts. We can rise above mere survival. We're capable of honoring boundaries. We can step outside our environment. As Harvard neuroscientist Stephen Plinker put it, nature does not dictate what we should accept or how we should live. Adding, and if my genes don't like it, they can go jump in the lake. Or as Catherine Hepburn majestically said to Humphrey Bogart in The African Queen, nature, Mr. Allnut, is what we were put on earth to rise above. We can transcend the behemah, the baka, and the tzon. No animal is capable of self-transformation, but we are. Poetry, music, love, wonder, the things that have no survival value, but which speak to our deepest sense of being, all tell us that we are not mere animals, assemblages of selfish genes. By bringing that which is animal within us close to God, we allow the material to be suffused with the spiritual, and we become something else, no longer slaves of nature, but servants of the living God.